Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. I'm at a new school this year where I... I'm out at recess duty part of the week and (laughs) have really experienced from a different perspective what the changing weather is like. Yeah, recess duty will definitely do that. (laughs) That's that's a new thing for me. (laughs) Oh, I did that for four years I was a teacher and that was not my favorite part of the winter for sure. (laughs) No, I... um, A book whose roots are in a very literal place. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 557. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Julie Fogliano, author most recently of Just In Case You Want To Fly, illustrated by Christian Robinson. Julie's stories express themselves in poetic verse, and they are some of the most beloved on our bookshelves. Just In Case You Want To Fly grew from a playful game she used to engage her daughter, Its lines and page turns are filled with sincerity and humor. If I Was the Sunshine, illustrated by Lauren Long, praises the way our love and presence in one another's lives has the power to complete and complement the other unmatchingly. And we also talk about the origins of When Green Becomes Tomatoes, Poems for All Seasons, illustrated by the incomparable Julie Morstad. But mostly, we talk poetry. And we talk it a lot. Do enjoy. Please welcome my guest, Julie Foliano, author of Just In Case You Want to Fly. Okay, hi, I'm Julie Foliano, um, and I write books for kids. Um, that's, yeah, well, that's your, what your I Your story do. checks out. <laughs> that, that about sums it up. I'm also a mom when I'm not writing books for kids. That's that's the other big chunk of my life. But when you are um, writing, mom duties are off the table. No. They really, <laughs> ideally, but not mom duties are actually never off the table in my life. Like, for instance, there's a chance a seven-year-old might run in the room at any minute. So <laughs> be prepared. 
we're talking from post time change. So I have the great privilege of saying that mine went to sleep at 7.15. Oh, I wish. Well, my daughter is the youngest of three and okay. her brothers are 16 and 12. So they go to bed later. So there's just no getting her to bed before like 9.30. It's just not happening here. So now, I have so, a, a nine and a four-year-old and the nine-year-old likes to get up early, which means that bedtime starts a little earlier. And so for now... Uh, we're really <laughs> enjoying it while we can, but not seriously. Not the Enjoy 5 a.m. wake up. Yeah. Oh, not so no. Much. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, my kids always slept late, but they always went to bed late. So, you know, you get time in the morning or you get time in the night. It depends. It's it just... happens somewhere. No but, doubt. Yeah. I um, have been speaking about you a lot to my students because for many other reasons, um, but mostly because. Um, you have a picture book that's nominated for our state book award for the Black Eyed oh. Susan Book Award, uh, the house that once was beautiful, oh, beautiful book. Yeah. And I said, "Oh, if you don't know Julie's work yet, just wait. I'll read it all to you, because <laughs> I have so much loved your your poetry and the way that you play with with phrases in language. I really." Um, have had moments of, of playfulness in your work and in contemplation and reflection and um, just a lot of joy. And so I, I appreciate your, your work, um, <laughs> not just with what we'll talk about today, but really everything that, that um, has entered into my life and in, in that way, the lives of my children and of my students. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. My goodness. Wow. Thank you so much. That is so nice to hear. And really, I mean, it's such a fun thing for me. Like, I'm glad that that joy comes through because it it really is a very joyful thing. Like for me to write and like, you know, like I said, when I'm not writing, I'm doing the mom thing. And so when I'm writing, it's really like my free fun time. It doesn't feel like, oh, I got to go to work now. It's like, oh, I get to write today. So I, I hope that that joy and excitement always comes through because it really is like the most fun thing. You know, if I could do anything, that's what I want to be doing. <laughs> so, awesome. I'm yeah. glad that you are, that you have found a way to do the thing you love and also to share it with the world uh, so that we too can enjoy it. There's a poem of yours that I share all the time for poem in your pocket day among other moments but it's a poem that i like to hand to children a lot and it comes from uh when green becomes tomatoes mm -hmm. illustrated by the amazingly talented julie morstead but it's a poem called november 17 which is about ducks waddling uh -huh. <laughs> it's my favorite um do you mind if i read some to you is that okay please i would love it just so People that maybe haven't encountered this poem yet can can hear it. This beautiful book uh, skips all around the, the whole year. But in this case, November 17, we're in fall. And it's, you know, the right time for that. And it, it reads, Stuck behind a white duck walking in the middle of the road. White duck waddle in the middle. White duck walking down the road. White duck waddle must you waddle in the middle of the road. Orange fetal stop to eatle. White duck standing in the road. Stuck behind a white duck standing in the middle of the road. <laughs> I'll stop halfway through. But <laughs> I, just I love, love the it. way you read that. <laughs> <laughs> that was so great. That's a true story. Everything, no. everything is a true story. But I was stuck behind a white duck walking, although I was in my car at the time. But most of that book was actually written 
driving my kids to and from school on these beautiful backcountry roads where we live. And yeah, I was driving my daughter or, or actually, no, it probably wasn't my daughter at the time. It was probably my son's home from school one day. And there was this white duck that we saw every day. But that day it was just right in the road. And like, I couldn't like go around it because I didn't trust <laughs> that it wouldn't like dart in front of me. So I had to like sit there slowly and watch this <laughs> duck waddling down the middle of the road. But yeah, and I had fun with that poem, as you could tell. But it was fun to play around with those words. It's so fun. And actually, there's a <laughs> this is a weird connection, but it came up at my new school because I talk to my students about video games all the time. I, I play on the Nintendo Switch a lot, and they, they know that, and that's a connection we have. But there's this game that just came out called Untitled Goose Game, where you are mm-hmm. a goose sort of going around honking at people, <laughs> bothering them, getting them to drop things so that it can sort of... It's the most bizarre puzzle game, and it's so joyful. But Ooh, I was like, I like oh, wait, I have this poem that I'm going to share with you later, <laughs> but I need to find it. So I've had uh, When Green Becomes Tomatoes in my backpack to show them and um, <laughs> enjoyed sharing it, in particular with this the student Molly today. Uh, it was really a fun thing. <laughs> oh, oh, and that sounds like my kind of video game. I'm not into video games, but like, you know, but that sounds like I would I would enjoy that. I would love to make a goose honk at people. Well, Julie, if you go on to YouTube, because this is now in 2019, all people love to do is post playthroughs of video games on YouTube. Um, You can see the game. Even just a little um, trailer of it is hilarious. You'll, I think, I think you'll see why I so rapidly made the connection between um, that poem of yours and the game. But I digress. I love it. I digress. We are brought together today to talk about a new collaboration you have with Christian Robinson, the new book called Just In Case You Want To Fly. And um, oh, this book, this book has a lot of really wonderful things in it. But I think that for me, much like um, when you both collaborated on When's My Birthday, I, I can't help but experience that that these two books feel much like they belong on Sesame Street. Oh, I think, yeah. I think Thank you. Comes from, well, <laughs> I'll you, take that. Christian has done these animations, right, that I, I uh-huh. feel like are so suited for that. And his art just taps into a, a point in my childhood, I think, and in yeah. many of our lives that that make the, the makes the art inexplicably speak to children as well as adults in their childhood. Um and to have your sing-song words playing about this way, that is so hard to read slowly. But but thankfully, we have Christian's art to slow us down. Yes. I, yeah. um, I know that it's sometimes weird or difficult or hard to ask where stories come from. But this feels like there's, there's an, uh, an emotion that you're tapping into when you write this story. So I wonder if you if you can recall where were these words or these phrases or the feeling of this book started for you? Yeah, actually this has a very concrete uh, beginning that started in one place and then kind of morphed into a diff- something else. But it started in a very literal place. Um, I was packing for a trip and my daughter Cleo, who was like at the time, maybe like two or three decided she was going to help me. And you know how helpful two or three-year-olds can be. So I had my suitcase on the floor of my bedroom and I'm like figuring out what I'm going to put in there. And she walks into the room and she had a microphone in her hand. And she said, just in case you want to sing. And she threw the microphone into my suitcase. 
And then she started grabbing like random stuff. It was like, just in case it snows. And like she threw in a boot and she started like just encasing my, <laughs> my suitcase to a very, very full and unruly place. Um, and at the time, I kind of I just like the sound of just in case you want to sing, but I didn't really have any like real idea of what where it would go. But I just I write a lot of things in my phone, like in the notes on my phone. It's a very unglamorous and unwriterly place to put my ideas. But that's you know, I know it's there and I just, you know, have tons of, you know, idea that I, you know, little notes in there that I don't want to forget. So anyway, I, I wrote down just in case you want to sing and, um, had it floating around on my computer for a really long time. But I just didn't really ever know where I wanted to go with it because the idea of just throwing random stuff in a suitcase didn't really speak to me very much, but I just played around with it for a while. And then I just started think, looking at it like kind of through the lens of, a, you know, of being a mom. I looked through everything as a mom, look at everything as a mom. And I started thinking about my kids going out into the world and how as a parent or someone who loves a child or someone who loves anyone really doesn't have to be about a child. Um, you know, when someone you love is going out into the world, like you feel like you can't give them enough. You know what I mean? Like there's no amount of preparation or stuff you could jam in their suitcase. It's ever going to feel like you have all the bases covered for whatever just in cases, you know, life might throw at you. And so I started kind of writing from that place. And then it started to come together and it started to take on the feeling that I think you were just talking about. And, you know, it ended up having more of a direction. And um, yeah, so it started out as like a toddler's kind of bit of silliness <laughs> and you know that's like where all the random objects come in but then it started getting into this very emotional place and I actually the first time I had to speak about the book I had to practice talking about it so many times because I was worried I was going to cry talking about you know preparing your kids for the world and I was just like oh god so it became very personal and much deeper than it originally started out but but that is how the book came to be so you know it is kind of a funny story with my daughter the story does have a a sense of providing of of looking out for of um much as your daughter was looking out for you quite literally with any scenario <laughs> she could imagine it, it's also sweet that in that way she was expressing worry or care for you that she right. wanted to make sure you were prepared and and the narrator in this poem is doing or in this picture book but I think great picture books are all poems um, does, does the same that just in case you want to fly, here's some wind and here's the sky and here's a feather. Here's up high. Here's a wing from a butterfly. I think that that listeners will detect that, that wanting to give everything mm-hmm. and, um, and also wanting to to laugh along the way, right? The absurdity of 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 any parent being able to give any child everything that they'll need is just silly. There's no way for us to anticipate that. But Exactly. <laughs> but in, yeah. in the way that you phrase things, you also you you tie those bonds with with the child and your narrator ties those bonds with the reader to know that there's not going to be anything too silly or too ridiculous that the child can ask for that, that that reader, that adult won't, won't try to supply in some, in some means. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't want it to totally like get overly sappy where I was just doing all of the like, I want to give you the world, you know, because really as a parent, <laughs> that's what you want to do. You know, so I was trying to balance like the kind of absurd stuff that my daughter was throwing in because that also, you know, those things come in handy, but also with like the bigger, more, you know, meaningful things. So it was kind of fun to play around with that. And it was really hard to cut it off. Like I kept going and going and this book sat on my computer for a couple of years, which is long for me. Like normally if I hit a book, right, like if like if I get an idea and it like, you know, like usually it comes out of me pretty quickly. You know, there's a lot of ideas that don't go anywhere, but usually the ones that have become books kind of gel pretty fast. But this one didn't. And I think because really, like, how do you cut it off? How do you know when you've prepared your child for the world? Like, I just kept adding just in cases and things. And it was like, this book could have been a million pages. So I was like, all right, here we do. We have to cut it off. And um, so, yeah, it was it was fun to write. And it was certainly like, you know, a balance of, of me, of the mom and me, and also like the kind of more fun, playful part of me. So I think that the way that you do wrap up is is really sweet and beautiful and, and is um, not to use it in a, in a negative way, but is sentimental that no matter what you're asking for, this is the way to find home and you'll be there. But I I love that you, you have these wonderful pairings on your page turns that go from um, a rock to skip and a coin to wish, and then just, and a fork and a spoon and a cup and a dish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I also, the other pairing I, I thought I was obsessed with that I, I was like, I have to say this to Julie because it I it has to be deliberate. I know that you've spent time with this book and with this manuscript and so have many other adults getting it ready to become a printed book. But you have this wonderful, sweet moment with these fish in a bowl that says, just in case you want to cry, here's a tissue and here's a sigh. And here's an umbrella in case it rains. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's that's good. Because <laughs> there are times when the tear comes like rains. And it, it's just, it's, it's that. It's that playfulness that I just, I love it. And I, um, I would love to sit and guess about how much or how little you and Christian uh, spoke during this process or that if there were sort of art notes or not but I I have a feeling that I know what you're going to tell me support for the children's book podcast comes from the highlights foundation imagine your own private retreat in a picturesque setting the highlights foundation believes all writers and artists can benefit from the gift of time time to create and time to dream That's why they developed a program called Unworkshops that gives you the opportunity to create your own retreat. In an Unworkshop, time is yours to spend as you please. No structure, no schedule. They will provide you with comfortable lodging and three great meals a day. From the moment you arrive, you'll feel right at home and fussed over. They'll furnish a peaceful setting that lets you focus solely on your work. And for only $149 a day. You and your career are worth the investment. Learn more about these and other workshops and online courses by visiting highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. Uh, so could you please share for this book a, a little bit about the, the nature of, of your and Christian's work together? Sure. Um, 
as far as, okay, well, with Christian, uh, and as with every illustrator I've ever worked with, except for Lane Smith on A House That Once Was, mm. I have never in my life given one single art note. Oh, like, I knew it! It's magic. Like, literally not one art note. Like, I, the, what you see in the book is the only information that the illustrator has ever gotten from me. And that's every book, like I said, except for A House That Once Was. Um, so Christian and I, like, you know, for this book, we did know each other already, which is often a rare thing because we did do When's My Birthday together. So we already knew each other, um, but, you know, he got the texts, never, never spoke about it. When he, after he had already, I think, done the dummy, like finished the dummy and was starting to work on the actual art, we, we saw each other at some event and I had told him the story of my daughter in the suitcase. And then I panicked. I was like, why did I tell him that? Because oh, no. then I thought, what if I totally, ch- like, boggle his mind and change his way of thinking about the book because I really I love the way he thinks of things it's for like he's like I don't really visualize stuff to begin with but if I were to visualize things like it wouldn't be anything that Christian has ever come up with because he is such a he thinks in is such a different way and it's, he's so free and so everything is so unexpected with him that like I didn't want to tamper with that and I got so freaked out that maybe I like screwed it up and now he's going to think in terms of a suitcase and I was all <laughs> upset. But luckily he stayed the course. I think he was he had already established it enough, you know, like he had had it all drawn out and he was ready to go. So it didn't sway him, but he definitely was like, "Oh my god, if I knew that sooner, it would have been a different book." And not for better or worse, but just different. And um, so, yeah, but we had no conversation about it. Like that was, you know, he just got the text and that's, that's what he went on. And I really, I never thought I would say that I love it that way because as a, as someone who doesn't illustrate their own books, like, especially when you're starting out, people kind of scare you. Oh, you don't know who your illustrator is going to be. You're not going to have <laughs> me say in what they do. Yeah. What if you hate it? Like, aren't, isn't that scary? You know, and I was like, oh, but now as I, you know, every book I, I you know, every book I do, I get more, it's, it, to me, it becomes more and more exciting to not know because, I mean, I, I trust the illustrators that I work with. I trust my editor. I trust my agent. I, I have a lot of trust now because I feel like I have a really good team and I, whoever we end up with as an illustrator, I just, I just trust them and I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I feel like it's adding a whole new dimension and whole new perspective and whole new like level to the book. So for me, it's, it's a great, exciting thing. So, um, you know, so I feel like it's a positive that, that I don't give notes and I feel like it's a positive that we don't talk about it. Um, because, you know, I'm just one person with one small perspective. So to have someone else be able to add theirs to it, kind of untainted by me other than my text, you know, I just feel like it's just, I don't know, it, the books are better for it. So I, I often wonder if, if we'll get just a, a massive collection of poetry one day from you because sometimes these poems feel like well as I shared with you that sometimes the book in its entirety much like just in case you want to fly feels like it could be a poem in my pocket that I hand to someone else and there aren't many books I realize Julie that can be sort of deconstructed that way that I'm not sure coming into this question or coming into this statement how I wanted to share this with you but it's something that I want 
to speak sincerely to you and, and out of love and a, a place of admiration, but your work, your, your words stand beautifully on their own and are somehow inexplicably made even more beautiful with the art, but there are some books that the words would fall apart without the art and the art would fall apart, would fall apart without the words in yours. I feel like I could take your poem. I could take all the words off your books and just show the children the pictures of the books and read the poem to them uh, while they, while they look and it would be, I think the same beautiful experience. I don't know what sort of big magic is at work <laughs> in the way that you approach children's books and the way that you do the thing you do, or maybe even why you were called to write for children at all, where you felt that on your heart. But I I think what I wanted to express is that there's something um, singularly different about you and the work that you do that I appreciate and I respect in a way that I can't quite articulate. <laughs> oh, you articulated that just fine. My goodness. Thank you so much. Um, we talk cool. about your illustrators. And and for those that don't know your body of work, because sometimes I think people might not connect the name of an author when, when the art makes it look like different voices. Because right. you have Lauren Long illustrating... If I was the sunshine and you have um, Julie Morstead doing when green became tomatoes and you have Aaron Stead. Oh my word. If you want to see a whale, Oh my gosh, Aaron Stead <laughs> and Lane Smith and all these different illustrators who these illustrators have such strong and distinct voices by themselves that you can't help, but um, see this kaleidoscope of, of art and talent when it comes to your words. And certainly your words lend themselves to many different um, artists illuminating them. But I, I, there's just something different going on with your stuff. I don't know how else to say it. I like it though. Oh, it's cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'll take that. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, I just, I think maybe, I don't know. I mean, what you were saying before about it not necessarily like kind of holding up when it's not being illustrated, you know, it, you know, if you s took the words and illustrations apart, you know, the only thing that I can really think is I, I spent so many years like, you know, I worked in a children's bookstore, I read a million children's books, you know, like I, I just like kind of devoted myself to to books for years and had this idea of what a children's book was, you know, like what it had to have in it to be a good book. And so I spent years like kind of writing, writing a children's book. And every single thing that I wrote was terrible. Like just the characters were so cliche, the rhythms never worked, just nothing ever worked out because I was always trying to like fill this, fulfill this idea of what a good children's book was, you know, like I'd read one book and I would, you know, think, Oh, this, I love this. So I have to make sure that's in my book. And I love this. So from this book and I was trying to be all these things and mm. I never got anywhere and I just hated everything. And I was like miserable about it all. <laughs> but, um, and it wasn't until I completely 
abandoned the idea of trying to write a picture book. And I just started just writing, um, knowing always that I was writing for kids. Like that was just like a given, like there's no, like that's just the audience like that my, that, you know what I mean? Like that's just my natural audience. Like there's no part of me that's, that ever thinks they're writing for adults. Um, so it wasn't until I kind of just started writing and not trying to like create the perfect character or perfect plot. And, and I, um, that's when things kind of started to move along and I started to find my voice was when I, I was just kind of writing as me, you know? Um, and I think also reading Ruth Krauss's work, um, mm, helped wow. me kind of break open a little bit the idea of what a book sh- needs to be, you know, because she doesn't, yeah, she has some, some books like the carrot seed, which are a little bit more of like, a, you know, a narrative with a character, but then there's some books like a very special house or, you know, um, I'll be you and you'll be me. Like that's not any, there's no real rhyme or reason. It's not like a beginning, middle and an end in the same way as a traditional book. Like I started thinking about it in a broader way and it didn't have to be any certain formula. Um, yeah. So when I sit down to write now, it's just coming from a different place. You know, I'm not imagining it as, as a book necessarily. I'm just kind of like writing what I'm writing. And then, uh, you know, once things start going, then I'll be like, Oh, this is going somewhere. And then I'll start to like, kind of move it in a direction. Does that make sense? But like, um, it does because it, it sounds like you're not, this is not the right way to word it though, but it almost sounds as if you're not writing narratively. Um, that you're not trying to stick to, well, I have to have a character and the character has to go through three fails and then have one success. And then here's sort of what the character's going to, uh, that, 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 that character arc of like, how will the character be different at the end of the story? Because the, I think often in the, 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 your works generally, the character is, is the reader. They may be seeing themselves through the illustrations, but your narration often takes the voice of if you, if you were to do this, if you want to do that. And, and that just positions, it positions the, the character narrative differently. Yeah, like I never have written in a character before. I never had a character in mind, you know. I never had a specific age or anything, you know, girl, boy, whatever. Like I never thought about and I don't think about that stuff. And, you know, I'm not attached to any of that, which maybe is why I enjoy the the unknown of, of what the illustrations are going to be because I'm not really attached to those details. Like, you know, um, you know, that's, you know, I, I would, I like to be as open as I can and, and leave it to, you know, kids seeing themselves in it as much as possible. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate so. that. Can I ask you because of wordplay and because of phrasing and because of how much to me, it feels like you express yourself poetically is, is poetry or reading poetry, um, something that is that comes from your childhood or just your, your general interest or was there, was there poetry in your life that, that you think may have, um, imprinted on you that, 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 that is sort of how you're expressing yourself now? Um, well, 
sort of, but not really. Like as a kid, I did read some poetry, you know, like I read Shel Silverstein, you know, I didn't like read a lot of poetry. Um, and in high school, of course, I, you know, went through that kind of poetry reading phase, you know, where I was trying to like, you know, work my way through and understand, you know, I don't know, I was trying I totally to hear you. <laughs> in po- you know, I was like always digging for and I listened to a lot of music and I was very, very into lyrics. But I wouldn't say that I ever was like, someone who was like a poetry person who had any aspirations of becoming a poet of any kind. Like that was not on my radar radar one whatsoever. And and honestly, I really never intended to write poetry. And the reason being, because I just didn't think it was something that was in the cards for me. Like I just didn't even think that I had anything, what it takes to be a poet. So it wasn't even, you know, it was never what I set out to write, not because I don't like it or appreciate it, but because I was so intimidated by it. Um, but then the way I kind of like came to all of this was kind of in a weird roundabout way was that um, during that period, like I was talking about before, when I was writing a bunch of not so great picture books and I was getting so frustrated and kind of not doing a lot of writing at all. Um, a friend of mine, George O'Connor, who does um, the Olympians yeah. graphic yeah. Um, I worked with him at Books of Wonder for years, and oh, cool! You're it, another Books of Wonder person. I am. That's, that's how super I feel. fun to know. know that you and yeah. Lori Keller and Nick Bruhl and all those wonderful people. Aaron's cool. Dead, Jason Chin. Yeah, it was a great oh, time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so George and I were good friends, and like I was always moaning to him about, oh, I can't find, you know, like always blaming it on something, and just never really getting it together. But he knew that I was supposed to be doing that. And, um, and in an effort to get me writing, um, he said, and this was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, maybe. Um, he was like, uh, his birthday was coming up. It was like right around this time of year. And he was like, okay, Julie, for my birthday this year, I want you to write me one thought every day for a year. He's like, it could be three lines. It could be 10 pages. He's like, whatever it is, I don't care what it's about. Just write me something, just a thought that's in your head and just write it down and email it to me every day for a year. And I was like, George, you are totally nuts because he's also like a real stinker and likes to tease me. So I'm like, I'm going to send you like my innermost thoughts in an email. So (laughs) you can make fun of them. Like, no way. But something about that kind of just resonated with me. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. And so I started doing it and I started emailing him my thoughts. And like, really, they were mostly nonsense, you know, like like literally about like what was under my kitchen table, you know, at the time my kids were really young. So I would write about like, you know, the old pancake I found under my kitchen table or, you know, a Cheerio that was stuck to the bottom of my slipper. Like I was really writing just what I was looking at. Um, But as I did it, I started to kind of just like start playing around with line breaks and start playing with words a little bit more. And, um, I don't know. I just, I guess I was finding my voice in a very free and, you know, like kind of organic way. Like I wasn't trying to write anything. So I was, so I was just writing these thoughts, you know, it wasn't like I'm writing a book today, you know? Yeah. So it was all very kind of just like free flowing. And often I would do it like at two o'clock in the morning, you know, after my kids were in bed and I cleaned the house and all that stuff. And so it was just kind of, you know, it was just, natural and comfortable and I would send them to George and sometimes he would write back something silly and sometimes he would write back something supportive and 
Um, but I think it was thought maybe 154 was um, my first book and then it's spring. So, you know, and so I didn't, you know, I wasn't sitting down to write a book that day and I certainly wasn't sitting down to write a poem. Um, but that's just kind of how, what my thoughts kind of morphed into and it was totally unintentional. And after I think, and then it's spring and maybe after, if you want to see a whale, um, my editor, Neil Porter was like, Julie, what else do you have for me? And I was like, I've got nothing. I have nothing at all. I was like, all I have is this giant pile of thoughts of the day. And he was like, well, what are those? And I was like, well, and I told him about George because he was also George's editor. I was like, George, maybe write these thoughts of the day, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, show me what you have. And so I sent him like, a, I, you know, picked out some of my favorite ones and sent them to him. I, it was like, it was a good amount. It was a lot. And he called me and he's like, oh, he's like, Julie, he's like, you have a poetry collection here. And I had the start of one. And I was like, I do not. I'm like, I don't write poetry. What are you crazy? And he was like, like, all right, I don't really care what you call it, but this is the start of a poetry collection about the seasons. So mm. do you want to finish it? And I was like, yeah, as long as you don't call it a poetry collection, because I am not if I start writing poetry, I'm going to freak out and get too intimidated and I probably will never write again. So can we just never call it poetry again? And he was like, oh, sure. And so I wrote it. And all the while he was like assuring me that we wouldn't have to call it poetry and then like sure enough when it went up to like the sales and marketing you know once the book was getting ready to come out he was like I'm sorry to tell you Julie they have to put the word poems on the cover (laughs) and I was like no (laughs) because I was just so scared that people would expect me to be some kind of like expert on poetry you know okay I see that like it was I was so scared of that because I felt like you know, I came to it just in like a kind of natural way. Like, oh, this is how I write. Like I, that line break looks good. This is fun. And then <laughs> that rhythm works. And, you know, so I just felt like, oh, my God, people are going to find out that I don't really know a lot about poetry. And so it was scary for me. So I'm, I still grapple with that. You know, I still get a little nervous when people say, oh, you know, this is a poem or you're a poet. And I'm like, oh, OK. Um, I think. So, yeah. I think if. if- if I can say it this way, um, whether you're intending to write poetry or not, I think that we who read, we who consume words have a tendency to just call things that connect with us, that are that are written or spoken in a way that doesn't feel... Um, I don't know, strict or commanded. It feels loose and playful. I think that's just what we've all come to call poetry, whether we realize that that's what it is or not. But I think the fact that you are playing with words and that phrases come to you like, I'm going to read you more of your, I'm going to, this is nothing but me reading to Julie. How about it? But you write, it. you so write things me. like, yeah, right. You write things like, if I was the sunshine and you were the day, I'd call you hello and you'd call me stay. If you were the winter and I was the spring, I'd call you whisper and you'd call me sing. As it turned to my favorite. If I were if I were a mountain or if you were a mountain and I was the sky, I'd call you almost 
And you'd call me hi. Love that. Oh, my word, I could read. Thank you. I could read all of your things. This, Julie, oh my gosh. If you were the thunder and I was a cloud, you'd call me softly. And I'd call you loud. It's beautiful. It's the... It's the phrases, it's all the cliche words are coming to my head right now. It's the phrases (laughs) that you can chew on. It's the space that, I think the first person that ever told it to me this way was Kwame Alexander, who said that the beautiful thing about writing poetry is that it's the relationship between the words and the white space, that that white space is left there intentionally, that that's the place where you step into, where you where you where you find yourself in the poem in you it's mm-hmm. just i realize i guess talking to you has made me realize just how much i throw around the word poetry whether or not that's what was intended but that i i think i mean it as a as a means of of expressing a certain quality of 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 appeal or connection or um, I don't know, gratitude toward the way words are expressed. And you you do that. So I'm grateful, Julie, that your words reach me and others the way that they do. Call it whatever you want. Just keep writing them. <laughs> Just keep writing them. Oh, thank you. And you know, I'm, I am I feel like the the thing that is allowing me to kind of accept the word poetry or poet or whatever is because I want kids to feel comfortable writing poetry. Like I don't want poetry to be this very like stiff thing. That's just full of rules and, and meant to be decoded and deciphered, you know, cause that's how it was always presented to me when I was a kid, you know, like it just felt this very, like and very intimidating and like only for geniuses, you know, only those people can write poetry, you know? So if, if me being so scared of the word um, and sharing that and talking about what poetry means to me and how I approach it, if that can kind of open the word up a little bit for kids and make it a little bit more accessible and a little bit more appealing, then I'm willing to own it as, you know, so I can, because it's so freeing. Like it really is like, you know, ever, ever since I discovered writing this way for me, it's, it's changed my life, you know? So for me, and it's very joyful and it's very, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, it just, it feels good to share these little beautiful moments um, in my life. Cause really everything I write is kind of just plucked right out of my real life and be able to share these things with people. And I just, I would love to share that with kids. Like I, whenever I do, you know, um, presentations at schools, I'm always talking to them about how like, you know, you don't need to have these huge, like Harry Potter, you know, size ideas in order to write something in order to write a story or a book or whatever you know it doesn't have to be big it just find something a small moment a little you know quiet little moment in your life and just look at it and listen to it and and you know pay attention to it and and write it down and that in itself will could be a you know a spectacular idea all in itself you know like it doesn't always have to involve dragons and magic and you know <laughs> craziness and so if I could share that with kids you know that it could be about these quiet little things you, you know just um I don't know 
I just feel like that, then I'm willing to accept, you know, I will take on the, the, the poet, the, the name poet, you know, if, if it means that I could share that with kids and I could get them to do, to write more freely. I love that. Well, thank you for taking time out of your night to share and express all of this with us and with me. I really appreciate that. I appreciate that time and, and all the thought you've given to, to what brought you to where you are today. Well, thank you so much. This was so nice. And I wish that I could bring you with me whenever I have to read because you read so much better than I do. <laughs> I always feel like I do my books a disservice by reading them out loud to kids. Oh, my so word. I, <laughs> I'm like, oh, like, when's my birthday? I can do okay. But like, if I was the sunshine, like I really could have used you when I was reading that one. Because... This? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I'm I'm so glad to know that in your brain you're freaking out every time you have to read aloud your book to children. <laughs> just because you know I'm not like an actress. Like I can read it, I, you know, but it's just not. You read it with them with more, emo- like it just you just read it so beautifully. So thank you for that. That that was nice to hear. <laughs> I am just trying to speak the truth that speaks to me from your words. So I'm just, I'm just trying to reflect it back on you, buddy. So listen, you, you've sort of said this already, but I I want to give us a moment just to, to close this conversation by focusing directly on those, on those readers, on those children. I'll say it this way, um, that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Julie, is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess what I would want kids to know, um, because all, you know, kids in school are always getting, you know, having to write stories or poems, um, you know, there. And I remember sitting down and feeling like I just didn't have any ideas or didn't have a good enough imagination. And so now I feel like I, just, I want kids to know that not all stories have to start with the you know, a great big spectacular idea. Often the best stories start from just a tiny, quiet moment. So pay attention to what's around you. Look out the window, look on your bedroom floor, look under your kitchen table, watch your dog chasing a chipmunk. There are stories hiding everywhere and you just have to look for them, but they're there. So go find them. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. 
Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Haley, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.